So a mother went to wake her son up for church uh, one Sunday morning. And when she knocked on his door, he declared, I'm not going. Somewhat surprised by her son's response, the mother said, why not? And he said, by looking directly at her, I'll give you two good reasons. First, they don't like me. And second, I don't like them. She thought about it for a moment. As she stood in the door of the bedroom, she collected herself and she said to her son, well, son, I'll give you two good reasons why you will go to church this morning. And he said, what are they? And she said, first, you're 47 years old, and second, you're the pastor. Get up, we're going to worship. <laughs> we're in the second week of our Sunday evening praise series uh, for the fall, and we're focusing on spiritual disciplines, those, those habits, those practices that help us to grow in our knowledge of Christ and in our relationship uh, with Him, as well as our connection with one another and to God's world. And tonight, we're going to be considering together the spiritual discipline of what we're doing right now, corporate worship. Why is it important? And how does God use it to grow us and to strengthen us as His people? So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, will you join me in turning to Hebrews chapter 10? We're going to read verses 19 through 25. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe somebody close to you has one in their lap or on their phone, and you can just scoot down beside them and tell them the pastor said it was okay to look over their shoulder. But let's consider these verses together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And this is God's word for us this evening. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving Father, you promised that your word does not return to you empty. As the rain comes down from the heaven and does not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and and flourish, so your word that goes from your mouth will not return to you empty. May that be true for us this night as well. Accomplish what you desire during these next few minutes through the reading and teaching of your word and achieve, O God, your great purpose. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer, in Christ's name, we boldly ask. Amen. Why do I have to go? Why is it good for me? Why do I need corporate worship? It's a great question, and one that's been asked of me at every level of ministry that I've been involved with, from youth to college to adults, and at every place in which I've ministered. At Second Prez here in Memphis, at Ebenezer ARP Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the RUF 
uh, ministry at the University of Memphis, at Christ Pres in Olive Branch, and here at IPC. Every time, someone will ask, why is corporate worship? Why is coming to church regularly? Why is it necessary? There's just something about, I think, the areas of spiritual discipline that it doesn't matter what the area, other areas of our lives looks like. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, we all suddenly become efficiency experts. And I don't mean that in a good way. When it comes to our spiritual lives, if we don't see instant gratification, if we can't immediately see the results that we want to see, instinctively there's something in us that makes us think it's a waste of time. And I think the thing inside of us is sin. That's just a hunch. So what would you say? Or what have you said when faced with the question of why corporate worship? Why why do we need to go? Here's my answer, or at least my first answer. With the text of Hebrews in the back of your mind, listen to what Luke says about Jesus in Luke 4, chapter 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Did you hear it? As was his custom. And what did the writer of Hebrews say in verse 25? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, or dare we say, as is the custom of some? So how do we answer the question? Why is corporate worship important? Several reasons, but my first answer is that from Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. And if the goal of any Christian is to be like Christ, to have a spirit of God mold and make him or her into the image of Christ, what was Christ doing on the Sabbath? Christ was going to corporate worship. He was going to church. And so am I better than Jesus? Are you? Was it necessary for the Son of God to go to church? But since you and I have a handle on life so much, we understand God so much that we don't need it. I don't think I'm bold enough to say that, are you? One of the things that we know from Scripture that went on during the synagogue worship service was the reading and teaching and exposition of the Scriptures. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Christ Himself, the Son of God, who was there from the very beginning, through whom and for whom all things were created, Jesus the Son of God sat under the preaching of the Word. Imagine that. And you know, at times, somebody said something wrong. And the one whom John describes as the Word was present at the preaching of Scriptures. Christ Himself sat under the preaching and teaching of the Word. Yes, even of fallible men. Let me ask you a question. How many bad sermons do you think Jesus sat through? How many times do you think somebody stood up and unrolled the scroll and read a text and said, now let me tell you what this means. And you've got Jesus, the Son of God, sitting in the back going, nope. (laughs) You have no idea. And yet, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. Parents, you want to know the nuts and bolts answer to your child's question of why do I have to go to worship? Jesus did. It's a simple answer. Jesus did. 
What's the answer to the college student or to your friend who says, listen, I can commune with God just as well in nature or on the lake or on the golf course or by myself as I can in some old building on Sunday morning. And if God is everywhere, why don't you think I can be just as close to God? Answer, God himself, while he was on the earth, went to church on the Sabbath. It was his custom. And if the custom of Jesus isn't enough for you, although it should be, why else is corporate worship important? Quickly, I want to give you six further truths about corporate worship. And just like custom, they all begin with C, and we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to go through them quickly, but you can write them down and study them more later. And tonight, this may be a little more teachy than preachy, but that's okay. Why is corporate worship important as a spiritual discipline? Or how do we grow accustomed to corporate worship? Well, the first of the reasons after the fact that it was a custom of Jesus is that it is corporate. It is corporate. Again, just a sampling from the verses we just read. Verse 19, therefore brothers since we. Verse 20, by a new and living way that opened for us. Verse 22, let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. We could spend the rest of tonight and into tomorrow unpacking this verse. But in our quick survey, I want you to notice that individuals are brought together as a collective. It is true when God called you. He personally called you to himself. He sent his son to die for you and for your particular sins. Those you had committed. Those you are committing. Those you will commit. But he did not call you to remain alone. He saved you as an individual into a body, into a family. He redeems you individually, but always to join the corporate body of believers. One has to work extremely hard to believe that Jesus died on the cross so it could be just me and Jesus. That's a denial of the gospel. God has always been about drawing a collective people to himself. This worshiping community, this ecclesia, the called out ones. And that needs to be reflected in our worship as well. The worship of God is a corporate act. I'm not saying private worship is wrong. It's not. But to worship only as an individual and to deny the corporate is wrong. Because God is always calling individuals into corporate gathering of saints for the purpose of worshiping him. The second reason, after the fact that it was a custom of Jesus, is the fact that our worship is canonical. It's canonical, meaning scriptural. Corporate worship is the place where we most grow accustomed to the canon of scripture. Think about what the writer of Hebrews has been doing up to this point in his letter. For those of you who have studied the book, you know that the writer's been doing a steady walk through the redemptive historical acts of God and explaining how Jesus is the center and the circumference, the sum and the substance of all of the Bible. And I promise you, I promise you that there's no place where you get more of a steady diet of Scripture than in corporate worship. That's especially true here at IPC. It's throughout every order of worship, every element contained therein. It's spoken from the pulpit, it's sung in every hymn. It's responded to in our liturgy, it's preached faithfully week after week. And I can just tell you from my over 25 years of ministry, I've never known someone who was faithful to the regular reading and studying of Scripture who made a habit of skipping or missing corporate worship. When they started neglecting and forsaking the corporate, it then showed up in their individual study or lack thereof as well. 
We just got a new washer and dryer in our home. The dryer, at least, is not the same as our old dryer, and it didn't seem to be working as we wanted it to. And I walked in the other day, and Natalie said, well, I've decided I'm just going to have to break down and read the manual. (laughs) My response to date has been this. I know it's not working the way we want it to, but we'll figure it out. Natalie read the manual. Natalie's way is better. She's not just trying to figure it out anymore. She knows what the maker of the dryer says about how it works. Scripture is the way the God who created us describes what is true about us, what is true about us, and what is true about the world in which we live. He doesn't leave us to just figure it out. Why would we neglect reading and studying Scripture together? Worship was a custom of Jesus. It's corporate. It's canonical. It's Catholic. By Catholic, I don't mean that it's Roman Catholic. Instead, I mean universal. Not explicit from this text per se, but I think uh, definitely in view in verse 21 when the writer speaks about the house of God. As we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom in our worship of God, those things we do should also recognize a church's place among the universal church of God. All believers in Christ Jesus, as he is revealed to us in the scripture, are members of the body of Christ. We talked about that this morning. And these members are in the process of being made holy and acceptable as a bride to her bridegroom. It is our corporate worship, or it is in our corporate worship, where we are reminded of this. For instance, in the hymns which are chosen to represent the church in the corporate worship of God, we should recognize the present church's standing and a long history of believers who have gone before and in God's providence believers who will follow after us. Therefore, our song should reflect not only our being united with Christ, but our unity with the church triumphant as well. There are hymns and tunes which have served the church extremely well in worship, and we should not forsake teaching them to our covenant children or children in the faith, and we'll be doing that very thing tonight when we close by singing for all the saints. You'll also notice in many of our pastoral prayers, we often pray for churches other than our own located at 4738 Walnut Grove Road in Memphis, Tennessee, out of recognition that we're not the only church. We also pray for our churches and other denominations because we recognize that the PCA is not the only God-honoring and biblical denomination. We're just part of a larger body. And so it's in corporate worship where we seek to remind ourselves of this truth in worship of the much larger Catholic and universal church. Custom, corporate, canonical, Catholic, covenantal. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that's covenantal language. The covenant of God is is his sovereignly initiated and administered promise sealed in the blood of his son to redeem for himself a people. In our worship of God, we want to remind ourselves that it is God who has qualified us to share in this new and living way and to participate in this inheritance. We want to proclaim and shout and remind each other that God is the one who is faithful to his promises. We are not the ones who are faithful. God is the one who swore to Abraham that he would have offspring that would outnumber the stars in heaven. And that God is the one who said, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God said he would be their God. They would be his people. We are numbered as a church among those covenant children. 
We are part of this holy offspring. Not because we fulfilled the requirements of the covenant, but because God did. He established the covenant. He made it everlasting. And he is the one who is true to it and true to us. I don't know about you, but I have doubts about that every single day and every single week of my life. And it's when we gather together as the people of God that I hear you reminding me. Don't miss that. I hear you reminding me in our singing and in our prayers and in the teaching and preaching of God's word that God's covenant promises are true. And they're not just true. They're true for me. I need the corporate worship of God's people. When we baptize our children, I don't just hear God's promises. I see God fulfilling his promises. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I don't just hear the words of God's covenant promises. I taste God's promises on my lips and tongue, and I taste and see that God is faithful to his promises, and every promise that has been made by God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Custom, corporate, canonical, Catholic, covenantal, fifthly, it's confessional. It's confessional. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, IPC does not believe it's the only church, nor the PCA the only Christian denomination. As well, IPC does not hold that the Reformed faith is the only tradition which makes up the body of Christ. However, We do believe that Reformed tradition is accurate in its doctrines and principles as agreeable to and founded on the Word of God. We are a church that believes the teachings of Scriptures are accurately summarized in things like the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism, and the Apostles' Creed. We don't believe these things to be absolutely perfect, but we do believe them to be accurate. So those things we do in worship and say in our corporate worship are confessional in that they line up with the teachings of the Westminster Confession and the teachings of proclamation of our historic church creeds. You will hear us confess that we believe through the proclamations of things like the Apostles and Nicene Creed. We'll use the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism, the New City Catechism questions and answers in our liturgy because we believe they accurately summarize the teachings of Scripture. And again, we remind each other of those truths. I had a seminary professor who once told us, outside of Scripture, outside of Scripture, you could do no better in furthering your understanding of who God is and what we believe than in studying and familiarizing yourself with the creeds and the confessions of the church. And there's something about hearing one another declare these confessional truths to each other that aids us in our growth as Christians. As a minister, I was always careful not to use my children as examples in sermons on Sundays unless I first asked their permission. I didn't, want to, I didn't want everyone in the congregation always running up to them after the service and commenting on what I said about my kid. They're now both at college, so I have a lot of new sermon illustrations that I can use. <laughs> I can tell you where I was on Germantown Road and terming on Farmington when Rick was probably three or four years old. And he called from the booster seat in the back seat, Hey, Dad, where is Jesus now? And he had heard us say the Apostles' Creed in church, and we had taught it to him as well in our family worship times. So I said, Hey, remember, buddy, he sitteth, 
And he said, oh yeah, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then he said these words. Those two work well together. And I thought to myself, you know what? They do work well together. But it was the confession that helped me teach my son what the scriptures teach us and what we believe. And he heard that reiterated time and time again in corporate worship. Custom, corporate, canonical, Catholic, covenantal, confessional, and lastly, but most importantly, Christ honoring. Christ honoring. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And it's that phrase, full assurance of faith. Listen, when it talks about full assurance of faith, it's not talking about the strength of our faith. And how much we can just kind of muster up in and of ourselves. No, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the strength of what your faith is in. The object of your faith. And our faith is in Jesus Christ and all that he is and all that he has accomplished on our behalf. That's why we are instructed to draw near. We are able to draw near because Christ has cleansed us. And we are washed in his righteous merit through the blood shed for us on the cross. And we don't forsake meeting together. Instead, we draw near corporately to exalt and praise Jesus for all he is and all he's done. Someone once told me, worship is theology in reverse. Worship is theology in reverse. In theology, God tells us about himself. In worship, we repeat back to God what he has told us about himself. In theology, God tells us about himself. In worship, we repeat back to God what he has told us about himself. And that brings him so much joy. Before she left for college, our daughter Margaret Ann expressed to Natalie and I things that were meaningful to her about our life together thus far. Those things that her whole life we had wanted for her and passed on to her, she was now repeating those very things back to us as her parents. It was so gratifying. It was every parent's dream. Now, if our daughter repeating those things back to us brought us that much joy, How much more when the children of God gather around his throne and express back to our Heavenly Father what they know to be true as he has revealed it to them in his word and as they have experienced it in their lives. Why would we forsake that? Why would we forsake doing that for the Christ that we love and adore? That's the discipline of corporate worship. That's how God grows us. So let's not forsake it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have drawn us together as your people. And I thank you for this group that's here tonight who have gathered together to bring to you praises, Because you are our Father who has revealed yourself to us. 
And you continue to show us time and time again of your love for us and your grace in our life. And so, Father, I pray that we will not neglect to repeat those things back to you in our corporate times of worship. And I pray that that we will see ourselves just one part, one part of your entire church that you've called out to yourself. Father, continue to make us a faithful church, seeking to worship you in all that we do. For your glory and your praise, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing for all the saints.
lift up your head. Will you reach out your hands and receive now the blessing and benediction of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace, not just tonight, but forevermore. Amen. If you'll give the ladies just a second, they'll set the ice cream out and we can socialize together. <laughs>